0: Welcome to season two of Connect to Capital, a podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I am Samar Michaela, co CEO at Scale Investors, and I will be your host for the second half of this season. I want to take this opportunity to thank Catherine Robson, the former chair of Scale Investors, for hosting the podcast and for her unwavering support and advocacy. Our vision at Scale Investors is a world where gender does not limit access to capital, and we're on a mission. To maximise returns by investing into Australia's best women led startups. We know the transformational power of collaboration and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education, and deep network to enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors. We believe that knowledge is power and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We are thrilled to play our part in providing entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. And if you're keen to invest and maximize your returns into Australia's best women-led startups, we have the perfect product for you, the Scaling Women's Fund. This is our solution to realize the significant opportunity in an overlooked market. Get in touch today by emailing ceo at scaleinvestors.com.au to learn more. And make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a minute.
1: Melissa Widner is CEO of Lighter Capital, the pioneer and leading provider of revenue-based financing to SaaS companies. She has a deep understanding of the entrepreneur's journey and the importance of growth capital. Previously, Melissa was the Managing Director of NAB Ventures, the venture capital arm of National Australia Bank, where she invested in and served as a director for several global fintech companies. This was preceded by her role as a general partner at Seapoint Ventures, a US-based venture capital firm focused on mobile technologies and SaaS enterprise software solutions. She's an active angel investor who served on the boards of US-based Alliance of Angels, one of the longest-running and most active angel groups in the world. She was a lecturer in the subjects of venture capital and entrepreneurship at the University of Washington's MBA program. Melissa is a classic example of founder turned funder, having led two companies to successful acquisitions that provided over a 10x return to investors, including enterprise software company Seven Software, which was acquired by NASDAQ-listed Concur Technologies. Melissa has helped transform the Australian startup sector since her relocation here with her Australian husband in 2009 passionate about female entrepreneurship, Melissa co-founded and now chairs Heads Over Heels, an organization that works with women entrepreneurs leading high growth companies. And at Scale Investors, we're thrilled that she's recently joined our investment committee. Hi, Melissa. It's so great to see you. Hi, Catherine. It's great to be here. Are you back at home in Sydney? I am now back in Sydney, yes. Yes. I was very jealous because I think you've just been to Cancun in Mexico, is that right?
2: Yeah, it was Cancun for our um, company, Lighter Capitals company offsite, and then all over the US.
1: So um, have you always lived a glamorous
2: life like this? (laughs) Well, it's funny. Cancun is really fun, but um, we do an offsite at Lighter Capital twice a year because we're a fully remote company. And Cancun is just a very cost effective place to do it because they have these all inclusive deals. A lot of our technical team is in South America. So just in terms of a central location, you know, we're coming from Australia, the U.S. and South America. It's actually a good spot also.
1: So obviously your accent suggests that you didn't grow up in Australia. How did you find your way here to call Sydney home?
2: Well, I say I had a verbal prenuptial agreement where I told my husband that he always wanted to return to Australia and I said I would try it. And I, I think in 2009 we moved here and I said I'd try it for a year or two and I've been here since, but it's a pretty great place to live. So,
1: And so you were an experienced venture capitalist in the U.S.? Before you came here, and an angel investor. Can you talk a bit about your experiences being an investor in the US and, and how you really got into venture as a career? Yeah, so I
2: was an entrepreneur. I ran a couple companies that had successful exits. The, the last one was a software company in
1: Silicon Valley. And were you a computer person? Were you a computer engineer? How did you find yourself building software companies?
2: You know, I ran a business before business school, an industrial supply and manufacturing business, and went to business school at Stanford. And you know, there's a lot of technology going on around there. So I also worked at Goldman Sachs in between years at business school and saw that technology companies have much bigger valuations than enterprise software companies, but there was just an opportunity to start this company to basically take this product that had been developed for internal use at Microsoft to automate procurement there and bring it to a broader audience. So it was just so obvious that there was a um, a need. So I wasn't the technical founder. I was the the CEO, but not the technical founder.
1: And so a couple of businesses, you'd managed to successfully exit those. What happened next?
2: I started doing some angel investing after 7 Software was acquired by Concur and then Concur went public and then I was recruited into a VC firm in Seattle and I did that for several years until, really until I moved to Australia.
1: And it seems like, I mean we've spoken before, so some of your angel investments were fantastic in terms of returns. Was that just luck, or did you know what you were doing right from the start in terms of being an angel investor?
2: No, I I mean I think it's it's luck, and I would say I've done I don't even know how many now, but maybe close to forty angel investments. But this was starting in '99, so my first successful exit I had exits before, but my first successful exit was 2011, and my first angel investment was '99. So it's not an overnight success, and I think we you know, my two companies that um, I ran and that had successful exits, they were funded by angel investors. So I viewed this asset class of my investments to be something that was partially giving back, you know, because I had money to invest because angel investors had taken a bet on me. And also my husband and I would treat this portion of our investments as something that, you know, we're not going to lose sleep over if we, lose, if we lost it all, but um, had some, you know, very good exits and hopefully more to come.
1: And so that sort of philosophy of maybe smaller proportion of your overall investment capital and quite a lot of them, is that the same philosophy that a venture capital fund would use? You know, what's the difference in terms of that philosophy between personally angel investing and then invest how you invest as a venture fund? Well,
2: as a venture capitalist, it was more concentrated, and we were focused on. Um, most recently, I was a managing director at National Australia Bank's venture fund, so we were focused on fintech. At SeaPoint in Seattle, SeaPoint Ventures, we were focused on mobile technology. So I would say when there's a more concentrated focus, you know, there's a lot more due diligence when you're investing other people's money, and I mean for me personally, a greater involvement in the company on on the venture side, but I know. Angel investing comes in so many varieties and, you know, there are some angel investors that are only going to invest um, when they can get really involved in the company and when they can own a big chunk of the company. So there's all different ways to go about angel investing.
1: And so then, as you said, you're at, is it Seapoint Ventures? Yes. And then you came to Australia for personal reasons and, and as you said, headed up NABs Venture Arm. Um, what's the difference between the U.S., and Australia in terms of venture.
2: Well, when I came here in 2009 there was not much going on in venture at all. In fact, I think at that point there were three funds in Australia that actually had money to invest. There were some that were you know, still were still around who had raised money in the dot com boom, but I mean there just was not a lot of venture in fact. I think I think in terms of venture funds raised, not deployed, but raised in 2009 I think the number was like 167 million. And you compare that to 2021, I think it was 6 billion. So the ecosystem has just grown so much and it's just been fantastic to see and be a part of. So in terms of the differences, there wasn't much when I first moved here, but there's a lot more and it's, it's becoming a lot more similar. I think what's nice about Australia is that VCs are still fairly generalists. Where in the US, they tend to be more specialized or even within firms, sometimes in larger firms, more specialized in terms of the vertical. But, you know, we're still a smaller market here. So what you'll find is that most funds are very generalist funds versus, for example, Point, we focused primarily on mobile technologies.
1: And so since finishing with NAB Ventures, you've moved on to sort of become a founder again, if you like, or a, you know, a CEO again. Why did you choose to move to where you are now? so um, lighter capital
2: is a company that was founded in the. US in 2009 2010 and NAB ventures along with Silicon Valley Bank invested into lighter in 2018 so when I was at NAB I led that investment and I went on their board and I just absolutely loved the company it was after being an angel investor and an entrepreneur and a venture capitalist what lighter does, Feels such a need and i i understood that need so much so lighter funds companies and um, provides companies with non-dilutive funding funds companies that sometimes are venture-backed or will go on to be venture-backed but also funds companies that a lot of venture capitalists would never fund and not because they're not great entrepreneurs or you know have a great product but maybe their tam their total addressable market just isn't big enough for venture and and you know we know venture funds uh, less than nine percent, or less than sorry, one percent of technology companies. So there's a lot of good companies out there that just didn't have access to capital unless they had wealthy friends and family. Banks weren't going to lend companies these, you know, money to grow their businesses. So I just, I really understood the need. And as a venture capitalist, um, which I did for the better part of two decades, you're in the rejection business. I always say you're just saying no all the time to the greatest people on the planet. You know, to entrepreneurs and. Have entrepreneurs pitch me who say they've got a they've got a good company, they're growing twenty or thirty percent year on year, close to cash flow break even or profitable, and I'd say that's wonderful. I can't really help you, and so that's sort of where Lighter steps in. We provide growth capital. It's non dilutive. We don't take any equity or control. No warrants. It's just such a great product, and our customers love us. So when the pandemic hit and we were looking for a new CEO at Lighter, I just
1: And I presume the relationship is quite different between founders and and LIDA to the extent that, you know, venture-backed businesses need to sort of grow really fast, right? Because it's a very high-risk activity and so you don't expect to get all of your money back from all of the deals you make. So you need a few to be really, really accretive. How's the relationship different that LIDA has with its businesses and, and what it's asking them to achieve relative to, you know, what a venture capitalist would be looking for?
2: Well, we're not asking them to achieve anything other than, you know, we want to make sure we get paid back, but it's a very you know friendly form of funding. We provide capital. The payback is a percentage of the revenue until the loan's paid off. We model it to be paid off in three years, but if a company grows really quickly, they'll pay us off in less than three years. They don't pay us off more. It's the same amount, but if they pay us off in less than three years, that's great for us because it's a higher IRR. It's great for the company because it means they grew faster. So essentially we provide the capital to them and then we say, how can we help? And some companies really want a lot of our help. They get involved in our CEO summits and they get involved in our CEO groups I spend a lot of time with companies in our portfolio when they do want to go out and do fundraising and with helping them with their pitch decks and helping them um, making warm introductions to VCs. We're not sitting on their board. We're not telling them what their strategy should be. We're not telling them they have to go harder and faster. We're there if they need it.
1: My guess is that you, you know, because you're so embedded in the startup community here and then also in North America, it's a bit, angel investing presumably is a bit addictive. You can't stop doing it once you start. In terms of thinking about, you know, investing in Australian startups versus startups in other places in the world, how do you sort of prioritize where you make your investments?
2: I don't prioritize by geography. And angel investing is really different than venture because you can make an investment just because you like the person or you think it's a good idea because it's your money. So it's a whole different
1: approach. And so in terms of thinking about valuations here versus overseas or sort of maturity of businesses or types of businesses, are there any sort of differences you see in the startup opportunities that you see?
2: Well, I would say that there was a bigger difference, you know, five years ago than today. But the difference was you just didn't have a lot of people who were on their second or third startup and it had that experience and also not just the founder and CEO but the the management team. And even today when you go and see companies pitching in the US, a lot of times they're third or fourth time founders or they've been involved in lots of startups. So there's, you know, just maybe more experience there. But we're starting to see that here. We're seeing that the ecosystem here has changed tremendously in the last 10 years, but really in the last five years as more capital has come in. And we've seen a lot of people come back from overseas who've had great startup experience there. And we've also, you know, we're seeing now second and third time founders in Australia.
1: You've had multiple opportunities to sort of 10x your own money and, and other people's money. Are you able to talk about some of the sort of more successful investments that you've been involved in?
2: Yeah, so on a venture side so I can talk to NAB, NAB still has some great companies that aren't exited yet because it's still a fairly new fund. We started investing in 2016. But we invested in, I invested in a company, I led the investment in a company called Wave, Almost all the investments I did at NAB were North American companies. Wave was actually a Canadian company and they provide an accounting platform for micro businesses. So you can think of like zero, but these are for small businesses, you know, typically sole proprietors, companies with under 10 people. And it was a free platform or it is a free platform. They earned revenue by offering payments and payroll and other services, they were acquired by h Block for about $650 million Australian within a couple of years of the investment that NAB made. So that was a really nice return. Pipe is a company that was recently acquired. Great exit for NAB. There's, and there's still a lot of great companies in the NAB portfolio that are yet to exit. On the angel investment side, I've had some, some really good ones. I'd say still the best one from a return standpoint is a company that the, the product is Clarisonic. And it's a face wash brush and it's um, it was acquired by L'Oreal for $500 million. And that was one where I was lucky. I got in at the very first round. Um, I knew the entrepreneur from, he was a Seattle based entrepreneur who he had invented the Sonicare toothbrush that was acquired by Phillips. So he, I think he got bored, you know, he did really well out of that, but got bored and decided to go do something in the face wash space. And created this this great product is such a good product. And I, I think about that product, I had made the investment just because of him. So I did a you know, small angel investment in their first round. And they sent the, the brush to all the investors. And I just had it in my drawer. I wasn't using it. And I remember going to get a facial. One day, and the um, the person, the esthetician, whipped it out and started raving about this product. And I went, oh, my God. And I, I called David and said, David, can I invest more money in this company. So he said, oh, we're just doing another round. So I got to get more in. And once you, I started using it, I couldn't stop. And what was interesting, I mean, I was in my 30s at that time. I loved it. My friend's daughter, who was 12, loved it. My, you know... Grandmothers loved it, and then men were starting to use it. It's like there was a really broad market for this.
1: I love that story because it's not high tech. You know, it's not like it's you can only make money out of one sort of business, especially, you know, with angel investing. You've got the opportunity to, as you say, have a broader aperture and find things that. You know resonate with you but you know also you can see how they're going to make money
2: yeah and there's another um company that's a an australian company called car next door and i had seen that will davies the founder and ceo of that company Present a couple times. I was, I think I was a judge on a panel one time, and I was leading a panel one time where he presented. And I just saw how he presented the company and how he was very much focused on the numbers and kept seeing him do better and better to where I thought, okay, this is, I want to get in on this and had the privilege of investing in that company. And one thing he did that I thought was just fantastic as a a founder. And I always encourage other founders to do this is he would send something out called the future investor report. So to anybody who had shown any interest in investing, but maybe wasn't ready at the time, but you know, a lot of times when people um, decline an investment, they'll say, keep me posted if something happens in the future. Well, what he would do is he would send out this future investor report and let people know how things were going. And um, I thought that was just fantastic. So I invested in in his company and Uber acquired them, oh, I don't know, probably a year, year and a half ago. And that was a really nice exit too.
1: And that's really interesting advice because sometimes founders feel very proprietary about their information and their plan. And sometimes you think, yeah, someone knowing what your strategy is doesn't really help you because it's the execution that actually, you know, wins.
2: It's funny because even I, you know, we're raised through these note holder rounds, money for lighter capital, and we've got a lot of yeses, but we got a lot of not right nows also. And I thought, why haven't I deployed that advice in terms of like, let's just start sending a report out to those people in terms of what we're doing. Let's send the same reporting. I mean, there's some things that might be confidential, maybe not the financials, but we could send top level, you know, in terms of originations that we're doing, what we're seeing in the market. You know, why haven't I followed that advice? And I think I will. Thanks for reminding me, Catherine. But it is one thing where you feel like, oh, this is this is our information. You know, do we want to share it? But there's really nothing that's that secret.
1: What other advice do you have for founders who are thinking about raising capital?
2: Well, I, would, I mean, just have as many conversations as you can. Listen, you know, remember you have two ears and one mouth and use them proportionately. And it could be a long relationship, Before an investment actually happens, there's another company I invested in as an angel called Ivy. It's a female entrepreneur who's also a heads over heels, CEO, Lauren Hall, who's just fantastic. And it's one that I'd watched her company grow for a while. And it just finally said to be part of this, she's just too, too good. And I see what she's doing. I think, you know, she'd grown 5X from the time I first started talking to her till the time I made an investment. And, you know, that's not exited yet, but she's building a company that will require a lot of capital and is really, you know, looking to get a billion dollar exit. So she'll do lots of rounds of financing probably before that exit happens.
1: You mentioned Heads Over Heels just then. Can you share what Heads Over Heels is all about and why you're so passionately involved?
2: Yeah. So Heads Over Heels was founded in 2010. I founded it along with Janet Menzies, Alex Burrell, and Sarah Lucas. At that time, I'd been a venture capitalist about 10 years, and I just hardly had women pitch me. <laughs> I thought I had been a you know two-time successful exited entrepreneur, and I, I didn't see things changing much in the market in that decade. They've changed a lot in the last decade, you know, thanks in part to the work that Scale does. So we created this organization to help women get better connected and help them get the connections that would be helpful in growing their businesses with the thesis that, you know, women actually are quite entrepreneurial. They start as many companies as men, but they don't grow them. And uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. But one is they don't have, in general, they don't have access to the same connections and networks that men do. Again, this is a generalization that that are required to grow a business. So Heads Over Heels is now backed by NAB and Macquarie and EY and Steadfast, um, Gilbert and Tobin. And we help entrepreneurs, we help female entrepreneurs who are running high growth businesses by, by providing those connections to senior business leaders who are willing to open up their networks to these entrepreneurs.
1: I've been lucky enough to go along to a few in person, but then also online Heads Up Heels Forum. And I don't think I've ever been in a room where there's more energy and enthusiasm and just goodwill in terms of feeling of support for founders. How did you create that? It just feels like this incredible, almost peer pressure in a way, in a a nice way. It's sort of contagious, that feeling of generosity. How did you do that?
2: Well, I think that in Silicon Valley, when I started 7 Software, I was a member of an organization called Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. And I can trace a lot of the success seven software had to like a connection i made it forum for women entrepreneurs and forum for women entrepreneurs wasn't you know strictly about connections like heads over heels is they'd had all kinds of educational events and networking events but i remember just thinking of what i really got out of it was you know these connections and is there a way that we can you know just get right down to that and make that happen faster and then um sarah lucas one of the co-founders had the idea for these huddles, you know, doing huddles, which was great. I mean, that was really, it was different and unique where, you know, the CEO presents, you've been to a, a few of our events, Catherine, but the CEO presents, and then um, the CEOs, the three CEOs who present go around to three huddles and the people in the huddle say, I can help you with this. I can help you with this. And there are specific things the CEO has asked for. So if the CEO has a product that could be purchased by banks. Um, she might be asking for introductions to banks and Heads Over Heels isn't going to be able to sell the product for them. But, you know, we could through the network at least get you to the person who is the potential buyer and get you there with a warm lead, which, you know, we all know is just invaluable.
1: I mean, you would know better than most, you know, being a founder is such a lonely uh, journey that requires so much resilience. And one of the things I love about the Heads Over Heels Forum is that that sort of wave of goodwill feels like it's energizing the entrepreneur so it's the connections but then it's also that manifestation of people care about me even if they haven't only just, you know they just met me and from time to time up, you know I've seen founders sort of get teary because they feel so grateful and just relieved that other people are invested in their success. It, yeah it, it is so
2: rewarding to see when they just come out of there they come out of a huddle and go oh my god wow like all these people and they'll and they are teary sometimes all these people are willing to help me and the nice thing is on the um connector side so who are you know really a lot of them very senior business leaders and men and women david Thodey and craig tiley and sid um, sid meyer and diane grady and i mean who open up their networks but it's a a really efficient way for them to open up their networks because they'll make the offer and they'll say, okay, look, I can, you know, David Thode might say I can introduce you to Telstra and then the entrepreneur will follow up and say, okay, here's what I'm looking for. Here's the email you can use. So oftentimes, you know, David Thode, all he's doing is forwarding that email to a mate of his or somebody he knows. And because it's coming from David Thode, it's, it's read, The entrepreneurs followed up with, not every time, but, you know, if we can get one or two, that's a huge win. Um, The entrepreneur gets a response where, you know, the entrepreneur could have been trying to get into the right place at Telstra for years. But, you know, because it came from that senior business leader introduction, they were able to get right where they needed to get and have the conversation on whether or not, you know, there's a fit for the business.
1: So you're the CEO of Lighter Capital, you're the chair of Heads Over Heels. And we're ecstatic that you're also going to be one of the uh, investment committee members for the rolling fund that scale's launching. What attracted you to to be involved in in the rolling fund? Because you've got lots already going on and lots of people who want you to to partner with them.
2: Well, I remember when Scale was starting over ten years ago now, right? Was it 2012? And I remember having conversations with Carol Schwartz, actually, she's on Heads Over Heels Strategy Committee right now, and With Laura, who was the initial CEO. And I was so excited that there was a, an angel group focused on women, not just investing in women, but also getting women to invest. So when I first came to Australia in 2009, I, Sydney Angels was just getting off the ground and I worked with them and I was, I was involved in an angel group in America. So we, you know, worked with them on helping to get them going. And I would go to the events. And I, I remember specifically one where, you know, the person Matthias who re- welcomed everybody, he'd say, welcome gentlemen and Melissa, because I was the only woman in the room and they were trying so hard to get more women. They, Sydney Angels really wanted more women. You, you kind of need a, a, a bit of a critical mass before people would feel comfortable going to these events. You go to Sydney Angel events now and it's you know I don't I mean I haven't been to one I'm going to one soon but I think it's 15 20 25% which is such a big leap and scale was a big part of that. I mean scale went out and said okay we want to get women writing checks. We want to get women comfortable with this asset class and scale went out not just to women that were entrepreneurs But women, you know, senior business leaders and execs and got them participating in this. When I look at, you know, where our ecosystem is today in Australia, and I think Australia is ahead of the U.S. in terms of focusing on this issue. And I think a lot of it has to do with the work that, you know, scale and heads over heels and springboard did, you know, 10 years ago to really put a spotlight on, you know, there's a gap here there's still very few senior partners at venture capital funds, but there aren't many venture capital funds that at least don't have some women on the investment team, even if it's at a junior level. And that's really different than a decade ago. So, and, you know, part of that has to do with the work that Scale's done.
1: I think what I also really love about, you know, heads over heels and and you mentioned, you know, SBE in there as well, is that, It's not just one thing that solves the problem. It's the sort of collective response to making sure women have the inputs, you know, the education to understand, you know, how to run a good business, how to talk about their business in a way that's compelling, how they have the connections to suppliers and customers and then, you know, access to capital. So I love the idea of working together to solve the same problem. I love how scale
2: also, um, and heads over heels as well, also reaches out to men and there's so many men who are passionately involved in this topic and that's just been great and I think men in general have the connections the the senior business connections so when they get involved it's it just has such an impact.
1: I know you're busy do you find time to to read and listen to podcasts anything that you you would recommend?
2: Yeah yeah I do read a lot and um, I'm always looking for good book recommendations, business and non-business book recommendations. And I just I was just having um lunch with one of our lighter capital entrepreneurs in New York last week, who's fantastic. And he's the CEO of Sombit, he's the CEO of Cumetics and he's he's a big reader, but he recommended a book called Small Giants. And I'm reading it now and I don't know if if you've heard of that, but it's what we read about are the big companies that grew and you know the Canvas. It's a fantastic company, but that there's there's all these other companies that aren't just laser focused on their you know their whole raison d'etre isn't just growth at all cost it's it's maybe building a successful company but it's just other other missions you know they're focused on another mission and i don't mean social impact necessarily but you know it might be a company that just you know, had the opportunity to go national and they said, no, what I really want to do is be the best in this region and keep serving, you know, provide other things to our current customers in this region and made a deliberate choice not to go down that path. And it's just really interesting. It's a great book.
1: Oh, it sounds fantastic because I think for all of us in business, being very conscious about how we define success and just mm. being bigger doesn't necessarily no. mean you're more successful. No. And I think, you know, there's also invention, this reassessment of you know, growth in revenue without profit and, and some of the things that were taken as a given, there's lots of reassessment about whether that's right for everyone or anyone.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's the venture model. They have to, you know, get one or two winners. And so you've got to push all the companies to go for that to hope that you just get one or two. I mean, it's, it is the model and that's what gets celebrated. So, so this is just a good book to remind us that there are other ways to to do things
1: with lots of trouble and also you've got four boys, I believe, um, are there any productivity tips, you know, things that help you get stuff done and also balance, you know, family life?
2: Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's one that I do a podcast at Lighter that we started recently. And I asked one of our uh, Lighter Capital entrepreneurs and he said he's a professional MMA fighter in his spare time. You know, he's, a, he's an entrepreneur of but... And he said, that's what he does, you know, for his energy and motivation. And he said something that has just resonated with me so much. And that he said, you know, everybody talks about how they don't have time, but people have time. They just don't have energy and it's so true because i think of when i have energy i can get done 10 times as much or more than 10 times as much as i can can when i so i'm so much more productive so it's not about time as much as as it is about energy how do you get that energy and what what do, what do you do to get that energy and i have really prioritized exercise, which is something I should have done in my 30s or 20s, but I didn't because I was working all the time and I just thought I don't have time for exercise. But I realized I, I do prioritize that. And I think I would say, I think the younger generation, you see people in their 20s, they're going to the gym every day during work. And I thought, my God, I never when I was working at Goldman, I never would have done that. You know, that just would have been like you couldn't do that. You couldn't take off work to go to the gym. But the reality is you're going to be a lot more productive if you do that. And I, so I think the world has changed for better, but I also think, you know, just prioritizing that I'm in um, a CEO group, an Australian CEO group with, with innovation Bay, they have CEO groups that they put together that are fantastic. And one of the guys in my group, who I have a lot of respect for, um, he's had a lot of success. He says that he prioritizes this workout with his trainer that he does a couple, you know, he's probably in his fifties, a couple of days a week. And he said, it is like, Nothing gets scheduled over there," he said. When people want to put a board meeting, he doesn't say no. I've got my trainer workout then, but he just says can't do that time. And I thought, wow, because for me that's the first thing I would drop for anything. You know, if you said you want to do this podcast, I I drop my exercise session for it. So I'm so I'm changing that behavior because I I find that you know you need the downtime and the replenishing time, and you need to be healthy to really have the energy and to be productive. And I I mean, look, everybody knows that, but
1: i mean i think what's nice is it's good to hear someone benefiting from it you know because i think you know that you should yeah it takes a while to get the benefits delivered yeah yeah and i
2: i was meeting with my my 25th business school reunion and one of uh, my classmates who went on to become very successful he's the ceo of etsy and i was talking to him last year and he was telling us that He takes an, and he's, this was like, I don't know, his third or fourth successful CEO gig, but he takes a nap every afternoon. (laughs) Really? Yeah. In his office, he says, sometimes it's 20 minutes and, but I take it and I'm looking at going, I mean, this guy, I think he gets a lot done and he takes a nap and then he's telling me about all the other things he's doing that aren't work related. I'm thinking, how do you do this?
1: It works. It works. Last question, what are you really optimistic and excited about?
2: I'm so privileged to work with entrepreneurs all day long with heads over heels and with lighter capital. So it's easy to be an optimist because you're around optimists all the time. This is a really strange time right now with I was just in, you know, the US with what's gone on with Silicon Valley Bank and, you know, where we're headed and everybody seems to think we're heading for a recession. But I'm optimistic because a lot of good things come, you know, especially in good companies are born out of economies when, um, you know, there's more people around and capital is when it's less expensive to start a, a company, which I think we're heading into now. And when capital is not as easy to come by as it has been in the last you know few years, you are much more efficient and you tend to focus on what is important for For building a successful company, so I'm excited about going into, um, you know, going into what we we've really been in for the last nine months—a different environment. You know, the environment, the growth at all cost environment, never resonated with me. It didn't resonate in '99 and 2000. It hasn't resonated. I remember in 2014, I thought valuations were crazy, and they just kept going up because because it just defocuses the entrepreneurs when you know, when there's no shortage of resources to build a business, you end up not focused and not prioritizing.
1: Yeah. It's almost like the valuation is an end in itself as compared to building products or delivering solutions to people.
2: Yeah. That's in fact, that's what another one of our lighter capital entrepreneurs said that so many entrepreneurs uh, forget that their job isn't to get the next valuation. That's not the definition of success. The definition of success is delighting your customers and creating a profitable business.
1: It's so great to spend time with you. This is actually the second time you've been generous enough to share your story with Scale. A few years ago, you did a series of absolutely magic videos for us that we included in our education program. So. I'm just so grateful for, for all you do and, and we're very lucky to have you here in the Australian ecosystem. Well, thank you,
2: Catherine. I feel, I feel absolutely the same and I'm so grateful for everything SCALE has done for the Australian startup ecosystem, especially women in the Australian startup ecosystem over the last decade. It is a better and different place as a result.
1: Oh, fantastic. Thank you.
0: We hoped you loved today's conversation as much as we did. As an investment venture firm founded by women, no one better understands what it takes for women-led startups to thrive like we do. We believe that education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. That's why we created Scale Educated, an education platform with online courses for both investors and founders. You can find them on our website. And if you're keen to invest and maximise your returns into Australia's best women-led startups, we have the perfect product for you, the Scaling Women's Fund. This is our solution to realize the significant opportunity in an overlooked market. Get in touch today by emailing us at ceo at and make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you do not miss a minute.